Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Sputnik Radio, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with France 24. British royalty Prince William and Kate Middleton visited Jamaica to attempt to keep the former slave state to remain within the British Commonwealth. Large protests greeted them, with many demanding reparations for slavery and the democratic process. A Dutch court threw out a case brought by Nigerian widows against Shell Oil for bribing witnesses which led to the execution of nine Ogoni men in 1995. They had campaigned against the exploitation of oil in the Niger Delta and included author Ken Sarawiwa. France 24 On the second leg of their Royal Caribbean tour, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge sat down with Jamaican Governor-General Sir Patrick Allen in Kingston, the Queen's representative on the island. Their visit is seen as a bid to convince former colonies to remain within the British Commonwealth, amid rising anti-colonial sentiment on the island. Protesters were out, many demanding reparations for slavery and for the country to turn a page. I'm here today calling for a better Jamaica. The better Jamaica that I'm calling for not necessarily mean just reparations. Jamaica needs a wholesome development. There shouldn't be welcomed as leaders of the country, as representatives of the head of state. And it's time for us to move forward and talk about, democrat talk about de the democratic process. Before their arrival, a hundred Jamaican leaders, including lawyers, activists and public figures, signed an open letter in which they said the Queen and her predecessors had perpetuated the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind. There are growing calls from within the island country, which is part of 54 member states headed by the Queen, to cut ties with the monarchy and become a republic. The process would involve holding a referendum, making it more complicated than Barbados's formal end to the nation's 400-year relationship with the British monarchy in November 2021, which made the change through a parliamentary vote. The Dutch court has thrown out a case brought by four Nigerian widows against Shell, for lack of evidence. They'd accused the energy giant of bribing witnesses in the case against their husbands. Known as the Ogoni Nine, the men had been campaigners against the exploitation of oil in the Niger Delta. They were executed by Nigeria in 1995 after a military trial that many rights organizations have denounced as a sham. Samuel Okoya tells us more. The verdict in the Netherlands is a setback for Ogoni widows who want to hold the Anglo-Dutch oil company Shell responsible for the execution of their husbands. The playwright and environmentalist Ken Saruwa, together with eight other Ogoni activists, were tried and executed in 1995 by the then military government in power, following their campaign which stopped Shell 
from operating in Ogoni land. Four of the widows took shell to court, alleging that it bribed witnesses to testify against the executed men during their trial before a special tribunal that was seen to be in support of Shell. Some witnesses told the Dutch court that Shell representatives paid them to give false testimonies against the executed men. The Dutch court, however, ruled that there was insufficient evidence to support the widows' claims. The widows are expected to appeal the court's verdict. The Ogonis, like many other communities in Nigeria's oil-producing Niger Delta region, accused Shell and other Western oil companies of causing environmental pollution. The communities also accused the oil companies of colluding with the Nigerian government and security agencies to perpetrate human rights abuses so oil exploitation can continue in the region. The oil companies, especially Shell, have faced lots of litigations in European courts from Nigerian communities who say they cannot get justice in Nigerian courts. Western oil companies have been accused of using their wealth and influence to frustrate communities in their quest for justice in Nigeria. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com. They also have a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They produce a daily English language debate, which is always informative, and a weekly edition called The World This Week that is available as a podcast on all major podcast sites. Next, Sputnik Radio. On this program called Going Underground, Afshin Ritansi spoke with retired Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, former Chief of Staff to U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell. He discusses the context of Russia's invasion, citing NATO expansion after the fall of the Soviet Union as one of Washington's greatest strategic mistakes. He addresses the deepening international isolation of Russia and President Putin, calling it insane. He outlines what a diplomatic solution needs to look like in order for there to be peace in Ukraine, and his belief that NATO and CSTO should be scrapped in favor of United European Security Infrastructure, Sputnik Radio. For 19 years to the eve of an invasion of Iraq by the US, UK, Australia and Poland that would arguably catalyze the killing, wounding or displacing of tens of millions all around the world. It was, of course, George W. Bush's Secretary of State Colin Powell who held a vial at the UN Security Council to make the flawed case for war in Iraq. And as the world today teeters on the edge of a global conflict that could be even more deadly than Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya or Syria, and joined now from Falls Church in Virginia by Powell's former chief of staff, Colonel Larry Wilkerson. Do you think internally at the Pentagon, let alone William Burns at the CIA, they think uh, this war is in any way winnable against Russia? No. Um, and I think the uh, I was at a conference, first conference in two years, where people met in a room together yesterday. It was surreal. Uh, Russian experts, uh, nuclear weapons experts and so forth. And we all agreed that uh, the only solution to this conflict is a dipl diplomatic solution, a negotiation that lets Vladimir Putin uh, at least uh, gain some of what he wishes and allows much of Ukraine to remain a state, part of it being autonomous perhaps with referenda to be conducted. However you work out the details, a recognition that Crimea is going to be part of Russia forever and a day, 
some other things like that that would be appeasing to Moscow and yet leave some kind of intactness to what Ukraine wants to be in its majority and settle with that and quit because this is insanity. It is utter insanity. It is making a pariah of Putin. Um, rumors out of Beijing or even that Xi Jinping, his quote, best friend, unquote, is thinking about making some kind of powerful statement uh, condemning the invasion. Uh, it would be in China's interest to do so because the closer it stays with Putin, as long as he is doing this, the more it becomes a pariah too. And China already has a problem. And it has billions of dollars invested in its base road initiative in Ukraine, which it was looking to be a fountain of product going into the wider Europe, particularly Western Europe. So Xi Jinping's got some hard decisions to make in the next week or two. Uh, you know that, uh, I think you were saying in December, something like this might happen. We've had uh, Obama said the expansion of NATO would lead to a kind of confrontation that we're seeing. Kissinger did, you name it. Um, I understand that uh, uh, George Kennan, the JFK diplomat, told Colin Powell about uh, eastward expansion of NATO and the dangers of it when you were his chief of staff? Absolutely. Kennan was 98 or 99 years old at the time, and he actually said it was the biggest strategic mistake America had made in the post-Cold War era and might be the biggest one that we made in the so-called Cold War panorama. Um, and I agreed with him. It, uh, it made no sense whatsoever. It was done principally for arms merchants and arms sales and money to be made. And it's a preposterous proposition that Article 5, which is what makes NATO unique, an attack on one is an attack on all. I think you're looking at an alliance that's looking for a purpose, and it's been looking for a purpose ever since the Cold War ended. Um, that purpose, as articulated by Colin Powell and George H.W. Bush and Edvard Shabernardzi and Mikhail Gorbachev, in a, in a certain way, was eventual welcoming of Russia, not only geographically, because geographically it's there, into Europe, and even into NATO membership, first with a political alliance and then the military alliance. That went astray in 1994 and later years when we started doing this wild abandoned expansion of the alliance. But that in no way condones an invasion into essentially a neutral country, which NATO leadership and Washington's leadership had already admitted they were willing to say would never be a member of NATO, much the way they have done pro forma with Georgia. Um, it's, well, good, it's, good said, it's good you said that, because, of course, as you know, uh, Washington, the Biden administration, let alone NATO leaders, yet Jens Stoltenberg and the rest say NATO expansion has nothing to do with the current conflict. And anyone who says that is a Putin apologist. Well, I'm not a Putin apologist in any way. I think he's brutal. I think he's insane now. I thought he was pragmatic. I thought he was a brilliant strategist. I thought he was doing things capitalizing on U.S. strategic errors. I still think that, but now I think he's insane. So you believe I mean, the so-called mainstream media reports that it's not going well for Russia? I don't believe the mainstream media at all. The mainstream media sucks. But what you're saying there <laughs> certainly departs from uh, what the Russians are being told by their media, that the war Absolutely. is going well, that it's a pincer movement, and that this is all about stopping the expansion of NATO. And if you heard what Vladimir Putin was saying the other day, this is a time of reckoning now of a new world order where Beijing 
uh, Moscow, Mumbai, Delhi, uh, let alone the entire global south. It's the end of U.S. hegemony. This is the beginning of the end. Bigger here is the prospect of snatching opportunity from what is disaster right now. And that opportunity is to reshape the security architecture in Europe. And what I mean by that, three fundamentals. We need a new Paris Accord, and then we need a movement towards this architecture. There'd be three fundamentals to it. One, Washington gives up a desire to have hegemony over Western Europe. Two, Moscow gives up a desire to reconstruct the Soviet Union's hegemony over Eastern Europe. And three, Europe, 740 million strong with a GDP of equivalent to America's now, gets its political, financial, economic act together and stands up and forms its own security architecture. And that Europe would have Russia in it the way we have envisioned it in the early 90s. Russia is a part of Europe. Russia would be in that new security architecture. To hell with the CSTO, to hell with NATO. Europe, stand up and have Russia as a partner within your ranks. No one tells me that they have a positive view of what's happening in Ukraine right now. From the Levant to South America to Central America, no one tells me. From Colombia, from Venezuela, from Algeria, from Egypt, no one tells me they have a positive view of it. We have two huge threats in the world right now that are absolutely out of control. Nuclear weapons, largely because of the United States abandoning the ABM treaty to start it all off, and then the INF treaty, and then open skies. We've abandoned all of our arms control, and we both, Russia and us, the two predominant nuclear powers, are in fact embarked on a new nuclear arms race. And then the second crisis we need to meet and we need, we need to cooperate and collaborate is the climate crisis. Look at the IPCC report of 28 February. We're headed towards three or four degrees. We're going to make this earth unlivable. Jake Sullivan, the uh, Jake Sullivan, the new natural, relatively new national security advisor, though uh, strongly associated with Libya, used the phrase full force against Russia. If one, one projectile hits a, uh, over a border of a NATO nation, what do you think he means by full force? Well, I think what we're looking at is people who are, uh, shall we say, not schooled, as I just indicated, in the realities of the Cold War. You don't make those kinds of statements when you're facing nuclear weapon powers. You have to walk a very fine line. We're not in this age when, you know, people talked about Hitler and stopping him because you don't want to appease him. You don't want to be a Chamberlain and so forth. That's bull. It's not analogous. We have nuclear powers now facing one another. And 45 million, 44 million Ukrainians committing suicide would be better than a general nuclear weapon exchange because 7 billion people would commit suicide. So this, this is not the kind of statement you want to make in this environment. These people have lost, both in Russia and in, in Moscow and in Washington, they've lost the lessons learned during the Cold War, which is you never want to start this because it will end with total destruction. 
when the, the Iraq war was going on, you were chief of staff to the Secretary of State, you would consider censoring media like the way the media is being censored in the United States and NATO countries today, RT, uh, being taken down right across Europe, uh, the use of Twitter and social media companies to destroy the other side and to curb any kind of dissent? Let me tell you my view. Yesterday, I was asked to comment on an op-ed to go into one of our major newspapers done by military veterans. I said, I will approve and allow my signature to go on that op-ed if you change the last paragraph. The last paragraph had a sentence in it that said something like this before I changed it. It said, Putin should be hauled before the International Criminal Court or wherever, and he should be prosecuted to the maximum extent of the law as being a war criminal. I said, you have to change that sentence to read, as it reads, comma, as should George W. Bush and Dick Cheney for establishing a torture regime and state approval. I think the bigger problem here is how do we negotiate a settlement? How do we stop this? How do we give a little bit of what Moscow wants, a little bit of what Kiev wants, and maybe sacrifice a lot of what NATO wants, Washington wants, on the altar of a deal. I think we have to do that. If you saw the piece in The Guardian yesterday, you know that one of the reasons The Guardian, and I think they're right, points out that the more draconian sanctions won't work on the oligarchs in Moscow is because Washington's oligarchs and Germany's oligarchs and France's oligarchs- They're entrepreneurs. They're entrepreneurs. <laughs> they're, they're, they're together and they're working together in the banks and everything else. So I asked the same question about Moscow's military industrial complex. Will those influences keep this from being settled because they are making so much money off of it? And incidentally, Putin is making lots of money off increased gas prices. So those influences might indeed keep us from having a settlement to this conflict. I hope not, but I know how, I know how bad those influences are. I can tell you right now, most of my interlocutors in the global south are furiously angry with the global north because we are doing things to fight climate change, finally. The market is moving that way, but we're leaving them out. We're completely excluding them, whether it's vaccines for COVID or whether it's movement towards their problems with clean water to drink or arable land, which is drying up now and the water tables are shrinking in West Africa, it's becoming an epidemic, they see us paying no attention to them. And they're right, because basically we aren't. Colonel Larry Wilkinson, thank you. That excerpted interview was by Option Ritanzi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com where you could hear the entire 27-minute interview. YouTube is now blocking everything broadcast by RT or Russia Today. Again, I listened to more than 15 hours of international broadcasting to create this show and was again disappointed to find almost nothing but Ukraine war coverage with basically the same stories and biases I hear on American media. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached to the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. 
please help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, said that the model of the international financial system prevents construction of a more equitable world. He also stated that the world is sleepwalking to a climate catastrophe because of the addiction to fossil fuel. He went on to say that racism poisons institutions, social structures, and daily lives all around the world. There was a protest in front of Raytheon Weapons Company in Cambridge, Massachusetts against war as a business. Then a viewpoint on why it has taken so long to begin negotiations on a treaty to stop the war in Ukraine from escalating. Radio Havana, Cuba. On March the 19th, Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, asserted that the model of the international financial system prevents construction of a more egalitarian, equitable world. According to Telesur, the secretary of the multilateral organization said, quote, The global financial system was designed by the rich and powerful to benefit the rich and powerful. Meanwhile, Portuguese diplomat Guterres also claimed that the financial system was designed to maintain deep social inequalities. Quote, it is not conducive to fostering development. All countries deserve a level playing field to unlock their human potential and build strong economies. Alluding to the situation of migrants, Guterres also took aim at the hegemonic powers, pointing out that it was they who drew borderlines to discriminate against human beings. Quote, borders should not be drawn at the whim of the great powers. Territorial integrity and sovereignty are sacrosanct, both for small and large states. Antonio Guterres, United Nations Secretary General of the UNSG, claimed on Monday that the world is sleepwalking to a climate catastrophe amid growing dependence on fossil fuels. Guterres stressed in his video message to the Economic Sustainability Summit that, quote, the addiction to fossil fuel is mutually assured destruction. The present situation clearly shows that dependence on fossil fuel puts both the global economy and energy security at the mercy of fluctuations and geopolitical crises, Guterres stated while calling for pressing steps to be taken. Guterres noted that the COVID-19 pandemic, the Ukraine conflict and the lack of political will of all undermine efforts to curb global warming and push even further away the goals of cutting, polluting emissions. Right now, he stressed, the fallout of the Ukraine conflict threatens to disrupt global food and energy markets with baneful implications for the global channel agenda. Antonio Guterres, United Nations Secretary General, or UNSG, warned on Monday that racism continues to poison institutions, social structures, and daily life all around the world. In his message marking the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, the United Nations Secretary-General urged, quote, we must reject and condemn racism without hesitation. Under this year's theme, Voices for Action Against Racism, the United Nations dignitary called on citizens around the world to listen carefully, to act decisively, and to speak out loud and clear against such manifestations. Guterres said, quote, Africans and people of African descent, Asians and people of Asian descent, 
indigenous peoples, migrants, minority communities, refugees, and many others still face discrimination, scapegoating, stigmatization, and violence. But turning a vision of a world free of racial discrimination to reality requires daily action at all levels and in all societies. A group of U.S. activists on Monday protested in front of the Raytheon Technologies Weapon Company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, against the use of war as a business. They called for arms industry to quit benefiting from deaths in nations such as Yemen, Palestine and Ukraine. They called for a halt to all wars. Analysts have pointed to the U.S. arms industry that is currently profiting from the Ukraine conflict through contracts with Western nations that are increasing their defense spending and turning to the U.S. market. The Hill newspaper reported last week that since early 2022, Lockheed Martin Company's shares have skyrocketed to nearly 25%, while that of other arms companies, including Raytheon, General Dynamics and Northrop Grumman, have each jumped around 12%. Governments and international institutions are trying to find a diplomatic solution to a confrontation that should have never started. I'm talking about the war in Eastern Europe and the worrying possibility that this conflict could escalate to reach global proportions. The Secretary General of the United Nations, the Portuguese Antonio Guterres, recently warned that the prospect of a nuclear conflict, previously unthinkable, is now becoming a possibility and urged belligerent parties to choose peace. Similar appeals have been made from other countries and there are initiatives such as that of the Turkish government to bring to the table high-ranking officials of the countries directly concerned by the crisis with the aim of achieving a de-escalation of the actions. A few days ago, the Prime Minister of the People's Republic of China, Li Keqiang, also expressed his concern about the armed conflict and offered his country's offices to talk about peace. We support and encourage all efforts leading to a peaceful resolution of the crisis, the official said adding that the most pressing task now is to prevent tensions from escalating or even spiraling out of control. On the other hand, some countries of the European Union, aligned with the interests of the United States, maintain an ambiguous discourse because they say they support a negotiated solution, while at the same time they send resources, weapons, ammunition and other military equipment to Ukraine. They also maintain a policy of sanctions and hate speech against Russian bordering on nonsense and giving way to absurd reactions. One of them was the tycoon Elon Musk, who disconnected from the real world and challenged President Vladimir Putin to hand-to-hand combat, where the winner could take Ukraine as a prize. If we set aside this gentleman, who is evidently unhinged by his enormous financial power, the truth is that any serious initiative for peace is worthy. The question is why did it take until this moment to insist on the need to seek negotiated solutions to the problems? Russia was doing that for a long time, asking for an honest dialogue to address its security concerns and no one listened. Many who are now tearing their garments avoided responding to an objective demand that Ukraine refrain from joining NATO and that its territory not be used to place offensive weapons aimed at Moscow. 
Washington would have demanded the same if hostile forces sought to establish themselves on the borders of Canada or Mexico, let there be no doubt about that. As things stand, it is difficult to answer whether it is better late than never. Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. Though the podcasts have not been updated on shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which will complete its 25th year of production in April, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.